This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everybody, welcome to Snark Monkey number 32 and happy 4th of July weekend! Uh, at least that's when I'm posting this. Hope you're having a safe, happy, and very patriotic 4th of July weekend. Uh, Unless you're listening to this, say, at Christmas, and then, look, Merry frickin' Christmas, okay? Whatever. It's podcasts. Um, What could be more American than a a grand old stand-up comedian? Oh, but that sounds bad. Uh, I I should start this over. I'll just edit that part out. Here's what I'm trying to say. Uh, I was trying to segue uh, deftly into introducing Mr. Jeff Altman, who is our podcast guest. And man, Jeff is so much fun to talk to. Now, Jeff has been doing stand-up since the late 70s. He was very much a part of the scene at the Comedy Store when it was first getting going. He came up with all of the big names, including... Uh, well, Jay Leno, uh, Richard Pryor would come in. He, we talk about that a little bit. Also, he became fast friends with one David Letterman. Now, a couple of months ago when we did our David Letterman tribute, you may have heard a portion of this interview as part of that tribute. I include a lot of those elements here. So I'm actually talking to Jeff before the official last night of the late show with David Letterman. So we cover that a little bit here. But We talk further about uh, Jeff's path, his career, his passion, and yes, we do bring up Pink Lady and Jeff. Oh, it's a good story. A really great conversation. I hope you enjoy this. And happy birthday, America. It's uh, Snark Monkey number 32. Here's Jeff Altman. start with what I assume is going to be the first time I ever saw you, the Starland Vocal Band show in 1977. So that's the starting point for me is, is I saw you guys on that admittedly terrible show, but you guys were doing some funny stuff in mm-hmm. the middle of all that. I mean, yeah. there was some, Dave's sensibility was immediately there. I remember him playing a, a, a postman. And doing some bits. Yeah. You were doing impressions. You were Jimmy Carter in front of the White House. Right. Um, you were Rocky on one of them. Most of those bits seemed to be set up so that Dave would beat the shit out of you. At the Dave end. would either beat the shit out of me or interview me. He would interview me, then knock me out. Right. That was it. So how long had you guys known each other at that point? Well, when I first uh, uh, did the Starland Vocal Band, that was nineteen, the summer of 1977, and I had met Dave in 75. Yeah. 
So you guys had been on the circuit doing the clubs, mostly here in L.A., I would imagine, right? Yeah, mostly the comedy store. Yeah. In fact, almost exclusively the comedy store. What, what that, was... that was kind of, kind of the mecca on the West Coast at that time for, for stand-up comedy. Besides the comedy store, was there much of a scene? Had the improv come out The improv, yet? I think, had opened. Yeah. Uh, but it was not garnering the amount of people nightly that the comedy store was. It had gained a reputation. And this was a pretty... This was the precursor to, like, the explosion. This was... No, it was the explosion. Was it, it was, the beginning? It was, it was the beginning of the explosion. In fact, my my uh, good friend... Uh, you remember Roger and Roger? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Well, my good friend Roger Bear, who was the shorter of the two, uh, who's still a good friend, and uh, he uh, he said that the, the golden age of comedy started in 75 and went to 85. Now, I, don't, I, I think it was, it was a shorter period of time than that. Yeah. But uh, it, it certainly had already started. So paint a picture for me, 1975, you're coming into the, and I want to talk more about your history coming up, but who else is, is coming in? Who else is going up? Well, there's that? a lot of guys that are there, George Miller, Johnny Witherspoon, Leno, um, um, gosh, Elaine Boozler, uh, uh, and, and a host of other Guys yeah, you'll are, start to see Pryor coming through. And know, Pryor would be through when he'd do an album. Yeah. Oh, really? You know, yeah, he'd do, he'd do an album, and he'd come in, and he'd have nothing. Yeah. And then, you know, slowly he'd start out, and he said, uh, you know, he'd get some stuff, you know. Well, that I don't have so much stuff, but I'm going uh, do some stuff, you know, and we'll talk <laughs> about women's and all that kind of thing. I'm starting to sound like Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby, <laughs> So, were you guys? Were, was this group kind of tight? Was it competitive, or were you supportive of each well, other? David, David, and I got to be close friends immediately. We played tennis one day, and after that, we were we were true yeah. diehard friends. Yeah. What was uh? What you grew up on the East Coast? Right? I grew up in Syracuse, New York. And how how long had you been out here? I uh, went to college in Baltimore. I was twenty two. I came out here that year, and. Um, Let's see. Uh, started working the comedy store yeah. in the summer of that year, and uh, so when you saw Dave, did you recognize that there was something there? Or did you guys have it had a... immediately. I don't remember Dave when he very first came out because he had a beard, and I don't remember the beard. <laughs> you don't. No, but <laughs> shortly thereafter, we became friends yeah. and played tennis. And then, uh, you know, uh, uh, I guess my first recollection of him was, yeah, here's a guy with a midwestern kind of uh, sarcasm that heretofore had not exactly been put on display. Yeah, it was a little, it was fresh, right? I mean, it, it's, fresh. it seems so and, common now. And when I see him in old shots of him in Indianapolis doing the weather and stuff, it was him then. It right. was always him. He wasn't, you know, he didn't change at all. Right. I, I kind of was molded into who I became, you know, by the influence, I think, of other people. Right. Dave, Dave didn't seem to have any influence, uh, which, of course, wasn't true. Everybody has influence. Sure. I mean, he would probably say everybody from Carson to... Um, Jonathan Winters. Winters, absolutely. Um, Bob and Ray, he he has a uh, great affection for. Right. That, and that's I get that. But you're right, though. I mentioned the Starland Vocal Band. His sensibility, his attitude, his delivery was established. I, I get right. the feeling he was writing... A lot of that stuff. He was one of the writers on the yeah. show, little known. Because he was essentially doing what he would do later on his show, which is he was making fun of the fact that he was on a Starland vocal band show. He was making fun of the bo the group in yeah. a very subtle way. We had a strange thing happen on that show. Dave wrote a sketch uh, where he was a, uh, 
a clothier, and uh, I was coming to buy a suit. And the suits were all made with, with uh, a tinfoil, you, you know, like uh, Reynolds wrap. Right. And so I, I came in at one point dressed one way, and I said, oh, I like a hat. And he said, well, we got a hat right here for you, sir. And he pulled off a, a, a yank off a thing of uh, Reynolds wrap and stick it on my head. Right. And I said, I needed gloves. He did the same thing. Finally, I, I came in. I said, I need a whole suit. This stuff is terrific. Well, it was supposed to be him just grabbing off hunks of that and putting it all over my body. The staff, the wardrobe staff, had stayed up late making an actual suit oh, out of no, Reynolds wrap. <laughs> And so it was pretty funny. Wow. We never used it. No? No. Because it, it was too good a prop. Yeah. You know, it, it didn't make the joke. It wasn't. I didn't oh, get God. the joke. So. The, all that stuff, by the way, is on YouTube. Somebody, I think actually the Starland Vocal Band have posted, somebody representing them has posted every episode of that. I guess you did six or seven. Right. Uh, it's a pretty fascinating time capsule. A, a lot of people, if you say the word summer replacement series, they have no idea what that means these days. That's basically what that was. That's it was exactly like, what it was. I mean, in what day and age does a band who has literally one hit record actually get a TV show out of it? That was crazy. Were you guys in in the process of, you were doing your stand-up, but were you auditioning all the time? Was this kind of just a, another job of a series of jobs? No, I would imagine was, you were showing up on TV a lot around that time, right? Around that time, I was starting to get on TV a fair amount. Uh, bit parts, walk bit on, parts, you know. uh, this and that, and then I started uh, doing the Tonight Show in '78, and um, thereafter it was uh, it was a lot of work on TV. I mean, it was a lot of guest stars and a, a lot of. Uh, Give me a sense of that because all all comics will say you get on Carson, and your life changes. Is it did that? Is that the case for you? No, and no, it, it wasn't the case for me because. I first did it with Gabe Kaplan. Okay, you had a guest host. Yeah. Oh. And um, how how that for a comic that it's such a mixed it's such a double edged sword. I get to do the Tonight Show. Johnny's not going to be there. Yeah. Oh, that's rough. Well, I I had a strange thing happen with uh, the Tonight Show. I did it several times. I did it with uh, Gabe and then Gary Shandling, and then I think I did it with Leno, who guest hosted uh, back in that day. Yeah. And uh, then I did it with Dave. Oh, really? Yeah. And then finally I did it with Johnny. Yeah. But I think when I did it with Dave, I had done, uh, I'm not sure if it was Dave or it was Jay or, so anyway, I had done done a, a, a solid set and they wanted me to come back the next week and do the exact same thing for Johnny. And I said, well, geez, I don't want to do the exact same thing I just did four days ago on the show. They said, no, you got to come back and do it for Johnny. This was a strong set. So they promised me I could have panel. Oh. Oh. And at the last minute, they said, no, no, no panel. It's up to Johnny at the end. Oh. And like a fool, I said, I'm not coming to do the show. What? I turned oh. down The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Jeff. And I didn't, you know, and I didn't do the show until 1980, with Johnny, until 1988 or 89. Oh. That, I mean, that's, in show business at that time, that must have had repercussions. They were like, he doesn't. He doesn't turn us down. Well, I mean, it, it did have immediate repercussions in that I didn't do the show for 10 years. <laughs> so, you know. Yikes. What What was your sensibility at that time that you, I mean, were you just brash or you felt like I don't. I had a deal with NBC. NBC, NBC had signed me to a deal and um, uh, I was up for several pilots and different things that I had done. So I was working at NBC pretty regularly. 
And uh, I figured that with some credits and the fact that I'd been on The Tonight Show so many times before Johnny, that I, I probably should have a little panel. Yeah. Well, I made a huge blunder. <laughs> I mean, I just, somebody should have come in and just shot me. <laughs> what did your agent say to you at that time? Oh, agents, you don't know, you know. Well, do, it, do what you think is best. You know, we don't <laughs> really know. No, yeah, do what you think is best. <laughs> you know, instead of somebody kicking my tush and yeah. said, uh, you know, you, you get get over there and uh, get on the uh, get on camera. Now, on the flip side of things, Dave has had you on how many? How many? I I want to say it's forty plus. Yeah, it's it's somewhere between forty and fifty times. Is that a record? Perhaps no, no. I think George Miller was on more than that. I think uh, Tom Dreesen has probably been on almost as many times, and certainly. Uh, you know, I mean, Regis Philbin has been on the show yeah. like a thousand times or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but that says something about, I mean, the names you mentioned there, including, I, I've, you know, I've watched the show so much over the years. He had a real devotion to all of you guys who came up at that time. Because if you look at the stream of, of comics that came on, you mentioned Dreesen. He was really close to yes. you. You came on Spoon, John. Uh, Johnny. Yeah. Um Johnny Dark did yeah. did all those That's sketches, right. or did all that sketch work. Yes, and that was he. He uh, came up around that time. Even um, I know that there was a period of time where Dave was writing material for J.J. Walker and Jimmy Walker. Jimmy, came Jimmy on would come all on the all the time. Absolutely, and that I mean he, that says that so- was, it says something about him. Absolutely, yeah. you know he was uh, he was loyal to his friends uh, to the very end. Yeah, and because uh, those were not necessarily and, hot names at and, the time, and 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 to. What was really my generation? I mean, or slightly younger than you, know, Jake Johansson, and uh, yes, uh, people of that ilk, right? Um, you know, came on all the time. Well, it seemed like, and that was the difference really between himself and Jay Leno. Leno did not support my generation. It, uh, it took a long time for Jay to ever bring on any stand-up. I mean, it was years before he right. actually started featuring, and then he started bringing on younger guys, yeah. you know, really younger guys, right? Some of whom were good and some of whom weren't so good. <laughs> and your, when was your most recent appearance? It was toward the end of last year, right? Uh, yeah, it was in December, last yeah. December. And was that the sense that maybe that was your kind of Well, I didn't think so. Shot? I actually had a, had a strange uh, time with the, with the show. Uh, the woman who ran the, uh, the booking for the show, uh, I called up in February and I said, are you booked to the rest of the uh, you know, time allotted? And all she had to say was, yes, we were, which I think was the truth, because this was now February. Yeah. They're thinking about May, you know, uh, May 20th, which is the day. Yeah, it's, yeah. I know that's actually probably when this is running will be that day. Wow. Yeah. Tremendous. Uh, you actually, besides your appearances, you were a part of the show for a long time via the telephone. Well, I did a lot of stuff for that show. Yeah. I did. I really did. Okay, well, list off some of those things. Well, I was Lynn Easton of the California Highway Patrol. Hi, this is Lynn Easton. We're uh, southbound on the uh, 405. We have two white Caucasians. We're going to pick them up and just, uh, pat them down and uh, send them in. You know, that, and that would just be Dave picking up the phone, yes. and there you were. Now, what brought that on? That was that seemed so random and out of the blue. Is that something that you have been doing for years, and or did they come up with that? Well, I've been doing characters you yeah. know, my, my whole life. Well, it, you know, I mean, all that stuff you did for Rick Dees yeah, for absolutely. years. I mean, it, I did. They and come... I, did, I did the character of Carl, right? And I changed it around a little and made him the drunk on Letterman. <laughs> and certainly, people who are aficionados of that show will remember this guy calling up. Uh, Dave, 
Dave, listen, we're, we're, we're here. I, I met Alex Trebek today at, at, in Vons, and he pun- he punched me out. And and while <laughs> while I was out, I think he may have played with my deal. <laughs> now, see, that the great thing about that that's that makes me laugh, and it made Dave laugh. Yeah. I mean, that was one thing I think he appreciated is that he loved having guys around him who made him. Dave laugh. Dave was so good to me. I can't tell you. I have two uh, avocations that are very close to my heart. One is playing the drums, and the other is doing a sleight of hand magic, primarily with cards. Yes, which you did and, uh, uh, on the last show, right? I don't know if I did it on the la- I didn't do it on the last show, but the show before that, I did a, a pretty... Very cool trick. Yeah, I did a, a neat little trick. Yeah. And uh, magicians who watch the show know knows that it wasn't just a, a beginner's trick of, I'm going to make three piles on the table. Do you see your card here? Or do you see your card? You know, it wasn't, wasn't one no, of those. No, it was, it, was compl- it was elaborate. It was yeah, complicated. Yeah, and, uh, uh, and it went over great. We had a great time. We had lived the whole thing virtually. You know, I just said, I'm going to do a card trick. And they kind of left that open. And Dave and I had a lot of fun. It's on YouTube. Jeff Altman does a card trick for mm-hmm. David Letterman. And uh, people can see it if they want. And yeah. it's, it's just him and I having a Great time. So with the show wrapping up and him walking away, you must have been thinking about this a bit because bet. he's been a big part of your life. Tremendous. Um, had a huge impact both personally and professionally. Absolutely. And in fact, when people say to me, who influenced you uh, the most, I would say Jonathan Winters, a contemporary, sort of a little older than me, named Tim Thomerson. Oh, I remember Tim. One yeah. of the funniest if not the funniest comedian i ever saw seriously yeah and i think dave might say the same thing and he's a very close friend of david's and he's a very good friend of mine and uh he kind of left the comedy world in about 1980 81 and went off and became an actor yeah he made a bunch of movies yes he did some culty movies too i mean yes pe- he did people know his name that's for right sure. from transfers or, yes that's it he did uh, several of those right you know, he was the kind of the grade not the grade B, but the the B movie star, yeah, king of the B movie stars, and uh, uh, Tim and I uh, have uh, remained friends, and uh, he appeared on the show a couple of times and did a couple little sketches for for Dave. But uh, what what were, what were you, what did you introduce before this? What was the question before this? Um, well, just kind of as Dave's wrapping up the show, you're just kind of your feeling about it. I mean, well, I I, I basically you know he's been a part of your life had a huge impact on your career. There will be a tremendous void left. Because yeah. I, I don't down. know, Dave, and I'm sad. I mean, I feel like... Well, did, did you see the other night uh, Norm MacDonald was on the show? Yeah. Now, now Norm is not a close friend of Dave, no. really. Uh, even even Ray Romano, I wouldn't call in his inner circle, although I don't know that for sure. But there are very both, few both people of, that... Both of them broke down and yeah. cried. Yeah, Norm and, and Norm seen, was telling a joke that he saw when he was a kid. Right. He saw Letterman do live. And and I, I, sh- I actually just showed this to my wife last night because I was so flabbergasted because Norm doesn't seem to be somebody who would get emotional. It was totally out of character and totally real. It was one of yeah. those great moments on TV. And, you know, uh, that becomes difficult, I think, for Dave a little. But I, I – well, yeah. He doesn't know exactly how to react when – you know, someone is, is crying on the center of his stage because he's leaving. How does he handle that, but you know? Is, do you think he's beginning to understand the impact he's had on people's lives? I think Dave understands every moment that he's ever spent on TV. Really? Yes. He's uh, most comfortable in that Well, you moment. know, I, I said to him 
the other day we were talking and, and on the phone, and I and I, I said to him, uh, "This is going to be a whole different uh, set of circumstances, uh, Dave." And he said, uh, "Well, Jesus," he said, "You know, I've been doing this, I've been doing this goddamn thing since 1968. 1968. He was in college, and he was doing a radio show, right." And that's where it started. Right. So he's been behind a microphone literally since 1968, nearly every day of his life. Right. You know, aside from weekends and vacations. Sure. But no, he's he's so he's gonna. But I, I we've talked about this, and I you know he's got his son Harry, and uh, that that's going to be a, a very innocent pastime for him. Yeah, he. I think. I mean, I would just read the Rolling Stone article, which I thought was quite good. Um, and he, you know, he talked about taking up skiing. So that right. the families ended up doing something together. And he said now he feels like Harry will have something like that to look forward to the rest of his life. And that Regina and her second husband will have something to look forward to the rest of their life. Um, I, I think, you know, because he's obviously because he's got started so late, um, you want to treasure every moment you can with that, well, with that he just, kid. He just adores his kid. How much would you say that changed him? Is that, I mean, I certainly watching him from my living room, I can point to two things that I feel like were, were sea changes just as a human being. The, the, uh, the heart surgery, the quintuple bypass, yep. because his first show back was, I think, the first time he ever made a jab at Leno. I honestly can say that. Mm-hmm. And it kind of felt like a, you know what, I'm, I survived that. What the fuck am I holding back for? And it felt like that changed a lot of stuff. And then when Harry came along, you just saw his his whole kind of aura changed. Like, well, he he certainly became, I think, a little softer, a little more in sync with people who had kids. Uh, he understood my situation uh, with my daughter better. You know, I only have one child, one daughter, Faith, and uh, um, so uh, I think it mellowed him a little. But if you look at the whole persona over the years, the core never changed. Yeah. The core never changed. Right. And, um, you know, he... Uh, well, thank God. I mean, yeah, for, those of us who, for those of us who love watching him, right. you're right. I mean, the, the trappings may have changed. Certainly when he moved to CBS, he became a little... Had to be a little more mainstream, and right. and, and it it wasn't so off the, the rails and, and wacky. See, but my, my, my uh, idea behind this is that he had this in his back pocket since he was about 11 years old. <laughs> really? The, the 1130 show on CBS or what would have been the should have been the Tonight Show. Right. Uh, m- here's my theory on that by the way. Okay. Don't you think it's Larry Morgan ladies? Yes, and I would like to uh, to posit my theory if I'm even saying that right. Um, as a fan and as somebody who has grown very protective of Dave in this weird way. Right. I'm 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 glad he didn't get the Tonight Show. Because that would have always been the shadow of Johnny, a hero of his. Don't you think it's better, maybe he wouldn't say this, but don't you think it's better that he got to carve out his own specific and unique place that wasn't somebody else's world? I don't disagree with what you said. He, He certainly did get to carve out a new niche at CBS. But Jack Parr wasn't. Yeah. Stood on his own. Right. Steve Allen stood on his own. Johnny Carson stood on his own, and Letterman would have stood on yeah. his own. Yeah, it right. would have been their own, his own dynasty, I think. But his his constant referring back to Johnny, who was his in many ways mentor, um, 
you know, is is appreciable. You know, yeah. I mean, he does it a lot. Yeah. Um, we'll wrap up the day of talk here, but I want to talk more with you. What? Um, how would you rank his impact in broadcasting? I mean, what? He, Interesting that you use that word. Impact. No broadcasting. Broadcasting. <laughs> <laughs> because Dave, in my estimation, was the broadcaster of my generation. He was my Walter Cronkite. He was the guy. When I when I was sitting the other day and I was thinking, I was saying, who is the guy who? Oh, you just gave me chills, Jeff. You really did. Because I think about Walter Cronkite and JFK. That that footage, yes, is iconic. Right. For me, it's going to be Dave and coming back from nine eleven. Absolutely. Right. He was the only person who was willing to take it on for the first time in late night and did and did a marvelous job with it. It was like every, the, the rest every, of the world was waiting for him that's to right. do that. And everybody followed afterwards, but Dave was the initiator of the uh, you know, the look at 9/11 and right. what had happened and his appraisal of that situation. And and to come back and do stuff that might be seen that seems silly in comparison, uh, you know, and benign in comparison well, to what I think had he, happened. He, got, he helped get America back up on its feet and right. say, let's get back to what we're doing. You know, uh, uh, we're not going to live scared. And uh, people followed his, his, his train of thought, you know. And uh, he, he, he was, as I say, I was thinking about this the other day. Of all the people of my generation, it was David Letterman who did more to change what comedy kind of was than anyone else. And I mean anyone else. I mean, I mean Seinfeld, I mean Leno, I mean who, who were better stand-ups. But as far as, and you, you brought the term up, broadcasters, Dave was our broadcaster. He set the table for everybody else. Without yep. question. All right. Thanks for talking about that. I, I, I think you have such a unique perspective. You guys have been friends for so long. Let's go to Syracuse. How long were you in Syracuse? Through your adolescence? Through my adolescence, through high school. I graduated from high school. What kind uh, of kid were you? Uh, in, in the office every day, you know, in, 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 <laughs> Seriously? in grammar school. You were trouble. There, there you were was, trouble. There, there was a Jeff Altman chair in, <laughs> in, in, in the office of my grammar school. What were you doing? I was the first kid to be suspended from, from grammar school. <laughs> grammar school. Yeah. Were you cracking wise? Yeah, were you just wise. You were being a smartass? That's all I was doing. Was yeah. Cracking wise. I wasn't bringing knives and guns to school. No, you know. But I, I'd crack wise, and you know, Mr. Altman, will you please leave the room? <laughs> so I would stand outside the door, and then occasionally the principal would walk by and see me standing out there. So the principal one day said, "The next time you're standing in the hall, you'll be sent home." Well, there I was in the hall, and they, they got me, and they sent me home. And I remember crying all the way home because I knew my mother was just going to go to just Joe Frazier on me. Oh, know? no. Yeah. What, did, what did your parents do? My, my dad was an executive with a company out of uh, Chicago that sold uh, feed additives for uh, livestock called Dawes Laboratories. And my mother was not really a, a housewife for the first 14 years of my life. Then she, she became some, really did some pretty... Uh, productive stuff. She was a ch- a ca- president of the American Cancer Society wow. in uh, central New York. She was uh, did a lot of volunteer work. She was involved with the Syracuse Symphony and uh, many, many other things. She was uh, quite a woman. And she became a pottery expert at the end of her life. Oh, my gosh. And uh, she, she did some pretty famous stuff, uh, at least in central New York. That's great. Yeah. They um, were talented folks. How, uh, so 
she had, at least through your growing up, I guess, hidden talents um, that came out later on. Would you say that I mean, were either of them funny? I mean, you've you've made your dad relatively infamous over the years because of your routine. Right. Was that was he? By the way, how close is that impression? The pants is yes. is, is real. The <laughs> the the uh, little uh, I'll flip you like a cheese omelet. I'll roll you out like wholesale carpeting. I'll slap Drop you, you like, past payday. <laughs> Drop you like a bad transmission. Yeah, that's, that's my right. favorite. That's uh, right. He never said any of that stuff. He he never said any no. of that. No, but that, was the attitude there? That's been embellished a little. But the attitude was there. He'd start shaking and say to me, "Look, I, I remember once. Uh, I remember once I came home from college and and the upstairs uh, shower d- didn't didn't have full power coming up from the pipes, which were forty years old and you know not brass. So so the shower was down to kind of a drip." So I said to my father, who wasn't going to fix it because it was fine for him, <laughs> I said, Dad, if this doesn't get fixed, I said, I'm going to have to stay at a hotel the next time I come home. And he was shaving, and he turned around and looked at me and said, look, buddy boy, get off my ass about this son of a bitchin' thing. <laughs> and he was not a guy who was prone to swear. When he said that, I just, I just dropped. <laughs> get off of my ass about this, this son, son of, of a, a bitchin' thing. thing. I am going to adopt that phrase from now on. That is my response to anybody who's bugging the hell out of me. That's great. Yeah. We're, but did did they have a sense of humor? I mean, were, was my somebody mother, funny? The, between the two of them, I, I think I developed uh, something close to my sense of humor. My dad had a very carefully orchestrated sense of humor. He always knew what he was going to say. If he was going to a, a dinner party or something, um, he had... First of all, my dad was one of the finest uh, close-up card magicians in the country. Oh, so you got the magic from him? Oh, without question. Oh, and uh, and it's, when I went to college, a couple other people, but uh, um, uh, he was uh, he was uh, great at at uh, at what he did. So there's an element of kind of show business of of, well, of his, entertainment. I'll in... tell you an interesting story, whether it's interesting or not, I don't know. But his uncle was one of the people who actually constructed. With Louis B. Mayer, MGM. My uncle Al Altman was the Eastern talent scout for Metro Goldwyn Mayer. Oh man! And discovered Lucille Ball, Jimmy Stewart, Bob Hope. Now people are going, well, how old? You know, he was born in eighteen ninety eight. So when he was in his twenties, in the tw- in the twenties, he met Louis B. Mayer, and they they started this company, and it grew into MGM, and he became, you know, they the had talent. So you got some exposure so. to big-time showbiz. No, I didn't. I, no? I, I never did, no. No? Because I was just a little a little guy. But uh, my father uh, tells the story of the time he was in his uh, brother's office, and uh, Spencer Tracy said, wait a minute, I'll walk you to the elevator, Art. <laughs> and uh, Spencer Tracy walked him to the elevator. That's pretty great. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you're so you're growing up. You, your dad's got the card tricks going. Your mom has a sense of humor as well. So my mother had a spontaneous sense of humor. As I say, my father's was more choreographed. And uh, uh, between the two of them, I, I sort of fit in the middle there somewhere. Who were you watching? Who who was who were you listening to? Who were you? Well, George Carlin was uh, was uh, an influence, but no, I don't think anybody can overshadow modern comedy the way that Jonathan Winters did. 
When did you discover him? Uh, when I was in high school, when yeah. I was in junior high school, in high school. And it was the, you were seeing him on TV? Yeah. He was putting out albums, too. Yeah. Yeah. And he was party the Party albums. Didn't he they used the, to call them party albums? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Come on over, we're having a party. Bring your own and yeah. listen to Jonathan Winters. That's right. <laughs> Bring over your Bob Newhart, the button-down mind of that's Bob Newhart. Right. We'll listen to it. Who who does that? That's right. You sit and have cocktails, smoke cigarettes, and and listen to yeah, the same Bob Newhart album s- over again. Sit and be a beatnik. <laughs> <laughs> but Winners was well, Winners was the first person that I ever saw that did characters out of everyday life. Now you take a guy who I was lucky enough to work with and. And, and, and later on on a show called Pink Lady and Jeff. Oh, oh we're getting I, we're oh, getting there, Jeff. Oh God. Oh, we're getting there. Okay. <laughs> I worked with Sid Caesar for three of those shows, and you know many consider him one of the most brilliant uh, performers of all time. Yeah. But his characters were characters that were bigger than life. Right. They, they, it was the German guy, you know. I you know, and he could do accents of yeah. every. But the first guy that I ever saw do characters off the street was Jonathan Winters. Yeah, grounded in something that you could recognize. Relate to. Yeah. Yeah. And also, because I, 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 I was such a comedy nerd when I was growing up, when you go back and realize how much of what he did was improvised and how brilliant that was. He had a syndicated show for a while. Um, the Jonathan Winters show. Yeah, that I was obsessed with. Yeah, they'd throw out a pencil and he'd do 10 minutes. And it was... And it, and it was genuinely funny. It was just this brilliantly funny stuff. Well, he would go on Jack Parr, and Parr would hand him an object, right. and he would, you know, he'd just go on and on and on. And it, he was, he was. There's never be another one like him. Well, there was one like him. There was Robin. Robin was. was uh, and the uh, fact that they found each other yeah, and and yeah. had the, that time together is kind of amazing. Yeah, yeah. So when when are you first? Are you so you're cracking wise in school? You're that guy, right. and you're starting to develop some sense that you want to. Do comedy that you that nope. went, no, no not at my, all. My you were just a fan at that point. That's right, and I was the funny guy in high school. I was you know the class clown in high school, but but and my, an athlete too, right? Yeah, I, mean, I, I was a wrestler. That's how I got into college, actually. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I wrestled. Were you good? I was very good. You got a scholarship? I at Johns Hopkins they didn't have scholarships. Oh, okay. But it it could get you from having the worst SATs in the school's <laughs> history. <laughs> To, <laughs> to an acceptance. <laughs> to, to being admitted. And uh, so I tell people now that I did four years at Johns Hopkins, two of them as a patient. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Nobody would be surprised, by no, the way. No, I, I understand. Um, so you were wrestling. So when did, it, the, when did the idea of actually going up on a stage and trying to do stuff okay. hit you? I started doing stuff in the fraternity house in college. Mm-hmm. You know, and I started to develop some routines. I started doing, you know, impressions, and oh, uh, who were you? Who was the? Who was the? Well, go-to? I, did, I, I had this routine that I did with John Wayne and Jimmy Stewart, where where uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I'll just ride ahead there, Mister, and we'll see what happens. There's there's a uh, little cloud over there. He's an engine friend of mine, and I want you. Why do you keep coming down on that saddle horn? Well, I, I don't know, but it keeps hitting me in, in the groin, and I keep passing out in the saddle. And I was doing crap like that in, in the fraternity house. So killing. Then killing. David, yes, killing. Oh, you're wiping out guys that were you know eighteen and nineteen years old. So, so then David Fry came along. Remember David Fry? Oh, yes, one of the great, Impre- later, incredible, incredible, incredible impressionists. Absolutely. And I started doing Nixon and all his impressions. 
And then I went out to California, junior year of college, to, to visit the Magic Castle here in Hollywood. And uh, I actually performed there. As, as, a, as a 20-year-old kid, I was too young to even get in the castle, and yet I, I went and performed. I did a Sunday night show. Did you audition for no, that? Oh, no, I, I was very friendly with a guy named Mike Skinner, who was uh, one of the great sleight-of-hand artists that ever lived, if not one of the maybe top five. And he said, uh, Jeff, I want you to do my Sunday night show for me. I'm going to introduce you. I'm going to tell you uh, who your father was, and then you're going to come out, and you're going to do some tricks. And... Uh, Sure enough, that's what happened. Well, that's when I caught the bug. How how was the response that night? Good. I did and you well. were how old? I was, uh, I think, 20. 20? And I, was I, it I, the same kind of material? You well, were... I, I, I kind of combined everything. I, I, uh, I'd take a deck of cards, I'd shuffle them up, and uh, I'd say, uh, uh, now Richard Nixon's going cut to the, cut the deck and an ace is going to fly out of the center of the pack. And I'd say, oh, good evening, my fellow Americans. Let me say this. I'm so horny, the crack of dawn ain't safe. <laughs> Uh, ace number one, the ace of spades is down right about here. And I would do a move, and there would be the ace of spades. Then I would do Hubert Humphrey, and then I would do William F. Buckley wow. Jr. and Lyndon Johnson, and all the impressions that David Fry had introduced. So when I first got 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 uh, uh, to senior year of, of college, I came back again and did the same thing, only I did the whole Sunday night for Mike Skinner. And I got friendly with Ricky Jay. Oh, man. And this is before Ricky Jay was ever famous. Yeah. And uh, uh, he's one of the guys I, I actually uh, attribute the fact to, of me getting into show business. Because he got me up there at the castle and he said, you can do this, you can perform. He took me down to Canners, he bought me a sandwich, kind of gave me a little rub down and said, now you get up on stage there at the Magic Castle and you knock him out. And uh, I, I had a pretty good outing. Oh, man, this so is like that, a hybrid act. This is a real kind of specialty So thing. then when I graduated from school, I came out here in the mid-'70s and uh, uh, got up at the comedy store and kind of one night, there, were, there was, it was a Saturday night, and there was not enough people left to go on the stage, if you can believe that. <laughs> there was maybe 300 people in the country that considered themselves comedians. You had to be a circus freak or a geek or something in order to be able to do stand-up comedy. It wasn't, you know, like you could walk into a Denny's today and say, hey, anybody in here do stand-up? And <laughs> look at half the hands go up. Yeah, half the hands go up. <laughs> but that wasn't true in 1975. Right. Well, it's interesting because I, I think of uh, Steve Martin's book um, mm-hmm. uh, where he talked about he was going up in the weirdest places. It was the... The, those nights they were doing at the Troubadour, where it was like all sorts of stuff oh, going sure. up there. The, the clubs he would play in San Francisco, the hippie bars, where it That's was right. you know, folk music, and then he'd go up and do his silly stuff. You were looking for any place that had a stage. Well, there was this brand new place called the Comedy Store That's that had opened in 72, and I got there in late 74, and um, I was just a kid. Yeah. And I got up on stage one night, I went over to Mitzi Shore, and I said... Uh, uh, pardon me, ma'am, I uh, do some impressions. Uh, would you mind if I got up? And she said, well, there's no one left here to go up. I guess you can go out your name. I said, oh, my name is Jeff Altman. She said, all right, Altman, go up on stage and try some stuff. So I went up on stage, and she said, you're pretty good. You can come back. Well, slowly I had to get rid of David Fry. Yeah, yeah, you had to come up with <laughs> and, your and, own and, stuff. And eventually, this is where, where I differ, di- differentiated myself from Letterman. Letterman was just always Letterman. Right. Here I was going up on stage and doing David Fry. Now I started to apply characters, characters from like high school, big, big guys like this that you've heard me do on Letterman a million times. Sure. The big dumb guy. And my father. Yeah. And Carl. 
And and here's the winter's influence coming out. You're picking people out of your life that you know that you have this kind of your own connection with. And I think the guy who taught me how to do that really was Tim Thomerson because I watched Tim perform and he did all these San Diego characters because he was a San Diego surfer. He he did like the surfer dude way before anybody ever had that. way before. Because that existed (laughs) in the 70s. You know? Oh, man. You know, he'd he'd get up on stage and he would always end in a fight. You know, he'd be, hey, man, where are you from? The Kitty Hawk? That's bitching. (laughs) And down he'd go. (laughs) Yeah, he was real physical, too, oh, right? Yeah. Oh, God, this and, and is coming so, back to me. And so all my high school, he is the guy that taught me how to get my high school stuff that was kind of nutty onto the stage and make it presentable for uh, uh, people. Because certainly we all know people in high school that were funnier than, you know, any comic. You know, there's always that one guy that was nutty that would jump out his high school windows. Yeah, that and was you. <laughs> that was- but you hadn't crafted the the structure for it yet i hadn't been able to that's the difference between a comedian and a funny person a comedian knows how to bring it to the stage and present the idea to 100 200 14 1500 people yeah so that was thomerson that kind of gave you the the thomerson showed me that pathway and then i started develop uh, myself and my then i I developed the character of my dad Mm -hmm. And that always stayed with me. I still do that a little bit. Sure. You know, I mean, I, people on YouTube say, hey, he's still doing his dad. Jeez, I didn't have any new material. <laughs> like the last time I was on Letterman, I told a story about my dad, and, and people complain that I'm still doing the same act. Well, you know, characters don't disappear. Nobody said to Jonathan Winters, hey, don't, don't do uh, Maud Frickard anymore. It's not funny. It's too old. You know, you get your characters and you stick with them. That stuff is gold. Well, I mean, you, and ho- Dave, you hope. And Dave loves it. I mean, he doesn't he ask you to do that stuff? He yeah, sets you up for that stuff? Yeah. Um, did, so with the comedy scene being so kind of limited at that time, you did you didn't do that kind of travel the country circuit thing, did you? Or there was no circuit. Yeah, the circuit didn't, didn't start exist. till really the eighties. So you were here in town, just going up whenever you could, and then you started kind of doing the auditions for TV and all that stuff. Well, remember that that that's when that kind of scenario started, which is where comedians would go up on stage and agents would start coming into the comedy mm-hmm. store to look for talent and, and producers. Yeah. And that's how I got on the first show I ever got on uh, coincidentally with Tim Thomerson on a show called The Bill Cosby Show, which uh was a show that he had on a Sunday night that failed. His variety show, yeah. right? Yes, that's yeah. right. I remember him coming out in a big sneaker. At that's point. correct. Oh, my God. I was on I, that show with Tim Thomerson. I watched way too much TV, Jeff, way too much. I remember that stuff. How can you remember that show? I don't know. I need to put that out of my brain. Yeah. I remember the freaking Starland vocal band. Come on. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, But you're. this is when you're – now, you must have gotten hot – with TV producers, that's the NBC deal you had referenced earlier. And that was about 1979. So is that what led to the notorious pink lady and the asshole? (laughs) (laughs) So tell me from your perspective, how was this pitched to you when they came to you? Pink, uh, Fred Silverman. Give people some perspective. First of all, I I got, and still I would say I'm friendly with Fred Silverman. And uh, Fred liked me, and uh, I was on the list, and my last name began with an A. So when the show got pitched, the NBC said, well, let's get on the list here and look at that. Uh, here's an Altman fellow. Let's, let's try him. <laughs> and so Fred had the idea to put Japan's biggest stars, and they were like the Beatles They were in pop, Japan. huge pop stars. Like the Beatles. Yes. Real, I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. To, to, to the Asian world. Right. 
Um, and uh, Which, by the way, nobody in America had any idea who they were. No. This and, was way pre-internet. Right. No, nothing had gotten back to us. And their manager came in and said, uh, uh, and what a jerk this guy was. Oh, no. oh my God. And he said, no, the girls speak perfect English. They're they're thoroughly uh, uh, fluent in in English. There's going to be no problems. Well, we found out that they had to learn everything phonetically. And uh, so when they were saying, how are you, Jeff? It was, how are you, Jeff? And I'm not, I don't mean to be mocking of any culture. No, look, I can, I can vouch for Jeff. I watched that show. It's, that's what it sounded like. They were, and they were staring at cue cards, right? They were staring at, um, no, they no, didn't. They could they, they had could, to memorize? They had to memorize it phonetically. Oh. And they had to memorize songs phonetically. Well, finally, around the third or fourth show, I went to Marty Croft, who produced the show, yeah. and I said, Marty, you've got to let these girls start performing in Japanese where they've had their hits. And he said, well... I don't know if we can do that. And I think it was just about the time that, you know, somebody was getting the idea that this show needs cancellation <laughs> immediately. How long did that last? Uh, I think it was six shows and I think five aired. But for five airings, it's become pretty popular well, as, 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 you know, as one of the worst shows in TV history. <laughs> it's it's funny how many people, some I mean, again, because of the nature of viral videos and and all that stuff but it does get brought up i mean i people say to me all the time they'll so they'll say hello larry and they'll go ah that was a great show. i mean that mclean stevenson show was not a hit show right. I, think, I think it lasted two seasons that's right um but people retain the hits and the misses probably nothing in the middle well take uh take dick van dyke's brother jerry what is he most famous for my mother the car oh that's right the biggest bomb in tv yes. history and followed closely by Pink Lady and Jeff. <laughs> so was that a discouraging time, a disillusioning time where you did you it was a time that did took, you want to run away from show business? No, it was a time that took me out of reality. Yeah. It, you know, you're you're all of a sudden, you know, you're a guy working at the comedy store, uh, you know, you're going uh Well, there's two guys walking a bar and uh, one guy says uh Hey, uh my name is Dickie and uh <laughs> there, there's something wrong with my genitals. Did you come over here? You go from doing that to having to be on TV and lead a show. Right. And, help. and you can't do that bit, by the way. You can't do any of that no, stuff. No. And uh, so I I, uh, I did the best I could, but it, it was just there was no saving that show. And they had Jerry Lewis on the show, oh, Sid Caesar, and a host of you know other people and, and musical acts that were huge. But it just – and Dave called me up uh, one afternoon, and he said to me, do you know that that show got a 24 share – he said that would be unfathomable today. No, that's you get a you get a fraction of that now, and you're, yeah, you're yeah. considered a hit. But in those days, that was a bomb because uh, twenty four, so sixty, what six uh, percent of the people weren't weren't uh, or seventy six percent of the people weren't watching yeah. the show. But but now, if you think about those numbers, there's a reason why maybe more people remember it than you think they should. Is because we didn't have we had three channels to choose from That's at the time. Exactly right. So there, there were cable stuff, and as Dave always likes to say, that was the only thing on NBC at that time. So people watched it, right? But just for not them, for not long. enough. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> so, uh, host Pink Lady and Jeff. So you see, it sounds like you were you stayed in pretty good spirits out of that. You probably learned a lot from that experience. Well, as I say, it changes your reality. Yeah. You know, you got people, you know, asking you, hey, you want cigarettes, ice? What do you need, buddy? <laughs> let, let, let me let me out. For you. We got a car waiting outside for you, you know. And, and it changes your reality, yeah. you know. And um, 
you feel like a big shot, maybe a little too much. Yeah, a little while, and then you've got you've got to, and I think Dave has done this beautifully. Uh, He he uh, has always maintained a certain level of uh, you know uh, this star business is just you know a load of crap. It's 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 a mirage, and I, I fell into the trap of oh geez I'm a big star and the show ended, and pow I'm out on the street. And I was out on the street for a while, and then I came back to do uh, be the comedian on um, a show called uh, Rick Dees hosted it. Oh, um, the Solid Gold. Solid Gold. Yes. I was the comedian on Solid Gold for a while. And you became a regular on Rick's show here in Los Angeles. And I became a regular Carl on Carl the Engineer. Carl the Engineer and Leonard Moon and all those crazy characters I used to do. But um, uh. I started get, getting back, and then I started doing uh, guest stars on TV again, and then and then I started doing Dave's show, which started, I guess, in 82 or 81. Yeah, it was 80, 82. Yeah. yeah. And I started doing that show, and that, that was the beginning of kind of trying to get my career back on track. And you had a great run. I mean, um, the the comedy album, um, Flip You Like, Flip a, cheese you like a Cheese Omelet, did very well yeah, for you, did. right? Yeah, it did. I mean, that, and then that... I, I did a, I did a great special for Showtime that Showtime did not understand at all, where I played Carl sitting home in, in his easy chair. I, you may not even be aware of this. I did a special for Showtime about Carl that I think was the best thing I ever did ah. in my whole career. And, and, and I remember an executive at Showtime walking up to me and saying, You know, the character of Carl isn't very funny. <laughs> And I just said to myself, holy crap. She, she, she just, not, it's not that it's not, I mean, it, you could look at it either as funny or not funny, but she, you could look into her eyes and just see, she didn't get it. She has no she idea. no idea. Oh. And uh, I'm very proud of that special. It sits in the vaults at Showtime. Do you have access to it? I mean, do you have your own? I have my own copy, yeah. But the, the, the special that did well was I'll Flip You Like a Cheese on Right, right. The straight-ahead stand-up. Yeah, straight, yeah. just doing stand-up. Yeah, I remember that's what they wanted me to do. I remember seeing that everywhere. Yeah. And clips from that all over the place. So the 80s were, were a, a big time for me. I, I mean, it was Dave's show. It was uh, the album. It was uh, kind, of, kind of the, you know, I was getting towards uh, a, a certain peak. Yeah, and you were getting, you were probably... That that was the explosion of comedy clubs. So then you're out doing I was bigger, doing all, bigger exactly. I clubs, was doing all the big, clubs around the country. I was right. on a plane every Thursday, you know, and I'd be at that the club all, all weekend yeah. in Atlanta and uh, Des Moines and uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, and you know every town in the U.S. Just about I visited. How often do you go up now? Well, I, I, I I've I've pared back my career a lot, you know, uh, and and focused a lot of attention on on my avocations. You know, uh, I'm up at the Magic Castle all the time doing card stuff, uh, getting together with Ricky Jay and my friend Steve Freeman and my friend Dean Stern, all who are some of the best card guys around. Now, this is interesting. I mean, this is one of the first things you mentioned as a child as this thing you gravitated to, and it's become... It's in my in my old age here. <laughs> Not old. But... Uh, um, uh, it's become uh, an innocent uh, source of, uh, you know, fun. But that's that's great. I mean, it's, it's harkening back to something that you have had in, as part of your life for a long time, right. and and brings a different kind of satisfaction from the crowd than than telling jokes. Right. But you still go up. Oh, right? but I still go up. I mean, yeah. there's a club that I do in Vegas. I do the uh, the Laugh Factory in Las Vegas at the Tropicana Hotel, and I will say, and I'm not being. Uh, uh, too nice to the club to say, I think it is the best showroom uh, for, comedy for comedy 
in, in Las Vegas, oh, except right. for the main stage where you'd have, you know, just one comic like Louis Anderson or something right. like that. Great. Yeah, I noticed that you're very hard to find on the Internet, at least as a you haven't embraced any of the social media stuff. No. You don't have a website. up. No. Uh, that just doesn't. You don't, doesn't doesn't excite me. Doesn't I'm not do it te- for te- you. A technology guy, you know. I just, you know, if somebody says Facebook to me, my eyes kind of glaze over, and I just, you know, start running. Let me tell you, you're kind of lucky to be honest. <laughs> you know, Twitter, I don't get it. No, uh, uh, you know, I. Think but it I, seems like also with, along with that, you just if people find you, that's great. If well, people no, can see you, your shows, all you have to do is you know Google my name, and enough stuff comes up so that people can become familiar with yeah. what I've done. Do you still get a the same kind of thrill going up, telling jokes or doing tricks or or well, I love I love, hand. I love handling magic. I, I I don't I don't think I have the same zest for stand up that I used to thirty years ago. Um, and when I say that, that can be offset by having a you know a great set. Anybody in the middle of a great set of making people laugh has got to feel happy. Right. A because you're making other people happy, and B because you you know it's it's a reflection of who you are. So I still love it. Yeah, there's no question about it. It's just that when when you're, you know, in your early 60s, as I am, you know, you smash your head on a bar stool and fall down like I used to do in my act 30 years ago. People now go, Jesus Christ, is he all right? Is he, should we call the paramedics? What's happened to him? He's fainted. Helen, he's fainted. Let's get our, let's get a refund. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, yeah. uh so uh, my act has changed a little. It's become more commercial, you know, and uh, so that's that, that would be the only difference. But all the characters are still there. Yeah. You've had I, I, I feel like we could talk for like. Yeah, forever. I feel the same. Way. Um, uh, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I want to have you back at some point. I, I'd love to explore. I mean, I'd like to hear about who you do. You watch guys now. Let, you me, know? let me tell you something. It, yeah, because I do a lot of uh, when I go to a city and do a do a club or a as I'm this week going to Vegas and do a, uh, the Tropicana, the Laugh Factory, I'm going to be on TV there a couple of times because it's, you know, it's coincidental with Dave's leaving. Right, and, right. And people do realize that I'm a very close friend. And uh, so I'm going to go on TV, and uh, you get people who don't know how to set you up. You get people who really don't understand what comedy is, and you're – very different in that respect there oh you get it completely oh thank you And it's great to be interviewed by you and i'm not just shining you on so i can come back but because uh, for the money i'm getting you know <laughs> I, I feel like a, muhammad ali i am paying for your parking so, <laughs> oh you are yes i am god bless you I, we'll see so there's something all right well you i got, got free water water, out. water here <laughs> no i full spread look i absolutely not just to butter you up here i've been a fan i mean i i'm anybody who's been able to do what you've done for for the length of your career and also the fact that you know seeing you in in, in the dave world opened me up to you mm-hmm. um like i said you know i was watching you guys in 77 romp around uh georgetown <laughs> doing those silly bits yep um and the fact that you have i i love certain things about talking to people where um I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm. This whole podcast thing was a reinvention for me, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to kind of figure out what is it that happens in life that puts you on a certain path. Um, I've talked with a lot of people. There always seems to be that I call it the guy didn't show up syndrome, which is exactly what happened with Mitzi at the comedy store that night. They ran out of comics. Can you had believe you, that? Had you not gone up that night, could things have 
maybe gone differently. I mean, well, it's just. I it's neglected to mention the first time I w- ever entered the comedy store, there was a guy on stage, and he was doing his act, and he said, "Yeah, we were up in Central New York and uh, Syracuse," and I stood up and went, "Syracuse, fucking a!" <laughs> and Mitzi had me thrown out. <laughs> this was in about March or April of 1974. And I said to myself, well, I'll never come back to that club again. And I certainly, you know, came back. Of course. And it was that night. It was a Saturday night. Not enough comics left to go up on stage. And I walked over to her and said, let me go up. And that was the beginning. Well, I hate to do this, Jeff, but I have to kick you out of this room. So okay. it is a great pleasure to talk to you. For me to talk to you. Well, we'll do it again. Uh, All right. We'll, we'll talk about who's working now. We'll talk about your perspective on what you see now and maybe what life is like post-Dave. And maybe you can comfort me and console me. If, there's, a, there's a lot of great people working out there. Yeah. There's also a lot of crappy people. They're really. The, the, when you get critical mass like you have yes. now. Yeah. It's but the, there's some terrific, terrific comics. Right. Who, who's the guy? We'll wrap this up with this. Who's the guy that impresses you really right now? I mean, for me, I, I think Louis obviously Louis, has his act together. Louis uh, knows exactly what's going on. Um, Gosh, uh, I'm trying to think of a younger generation because Louis's not that much no, younger than me. He's been around a while. You know, he's in his 50s, and I'm 62. And uh, so. yeah, I mean, Louis and Chris Rock now have kind of got their thing down. I'm I, I, 63. What? I'm 63 now. You forgot a I year. Just had a birthday. Oh, happy birthday! Thank you. Hannibal Burris is pretty strong. Have you seen him live? Uh, Hannibal Burris. I think I have seen him. He's yeah, to get some buzz on him. All right, we'll come back. I'm going to drag you back in for another episode, and we're going to talk about. I would be. I would enjoy that very much, Jeff. It's a pleasure. Thanks. Get a monkey. Get a monkey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.